All right, well, I really missed being with you guys last Sunday. I got to speak at a, another local church. Really thankful to Crystal for bringing the word. It was fun getting to go back and listen to that this week. Thank you again, Crystal, for being bold and sharing from your heart. Appreciate that. Um, and so Crystal kind of, kind of helped bookend, bring to an end a section we had been in. So we've been studying the Holy Spirit now for like nine weeks. We've covered a lot of ground. Um, the first several weeks, four or five weeks, we talked about who he is. It was like an introduction, a get to know you. And we looked at just some of his characteristics of who he is. And then over the last several weeks, about another four weeks, we've been talking about how to cultivate a relationship with him. And so there will be some things that happen in this third part of the series that we're moving into where we'll still kind of connect back to things we've talked about. But I just have to tell you, as we move into talking about the fruit of the Spirit and the gifts of the Spirit, so much of this is a byproduct. It's an outflowing of things that we've already talked about, okay? And so the series is called Abide because the way that we see God's Spirit show up in our lives is we learn to live connected with Him. Jesus called us to abide in Him. He's the vine, we're the branches. We need His life pouring into us. And so as we're, we're walking with him, we're cultivating a relationship with him, then some incredible byproducts can begin to show up in our life that will impact our life personally, but we don't live in a vacuum. God intended for his spirit to, to touch us and change us, but he intended for his spirit to work through us to touch the lives of other people. That means he wants to show up in your home. He wants to show up in your friendships, in your marriages, at your workplaces. God wants to touch other people with his love. And so a massive part of what we're going to be talking about as we go forward is how this works its way outward into the world. So that's where we're going. Now, we're going to start by talking about the fruit of the Spirit the next couple of weeks, and then we'll move into talking about the gifts of the Spirit and, you know, it's, it's interesting, like, when we get to kind of this section of Scripture, you know, we start talking about the gifts of the Spirit, there can be any number of feelings, um, past experiences, personally, in church life. Um, I know many of us have come um, in this body from different uh, denominational backgrounds. And so, uh, you know, I'm curious to see as we journey into that territory what all we're going to be able to learn together and how we can grow in this. Um, but I think we can all acknowledge that there is some level of disagreement and even controversy within the church about the gifts of the Spirit. Okay, do, do we acknowledge that those things are there? Yes? No? Yeah? Okay. And so we'll be moving into that territory. But what's not controversial is the fruit of the Spirit. I mean, it's like the first thing you're going to learn in Sunday school class, right? I joked with, with Alex this week, like, Maybe we should do the Fruit of the Spirit song that you do in, in kids' class. Anybody know that Fruit of the Spirit song? The Fruit of the Spirit's not a coconut. I can't do that very well. I don't know. Fruit of the Spirit's not a coconut. Fruit of the Spirit's not a coconut. Y'all know the song. I'm not going to try to sing it because, yeah. I'm the only one that knows it, Savannah. Thank you. Maybe you were just deprived. Who was your, who was your youth pastor anyway? Um, so, moving on. <laughs> All right, so... The fruit of the Spirit, right, it's just inviting and welcoming. I mean, I don't know anyone that would read the fruit of the Spirit and be like, that sounds awful. Who wants that? I don't believe those exist anymore. Those were just for the original apostles and disciples. 
Nobody's ever said that. So let's start by just reading through this this morning because this is, this is what we're talking about. Let it wash over you again. Galatians chapter five, verse 22, Paul writes and he says, but the fruit of the spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness. Maybe self-control is the one we don't necessarily like, um, but against such there is no law. I mean, man, the fruit of the Spirit just sounds wonderful. It sounds great. It sounds inviting. So it's not controversial. The problem with the fruit of the Spirit is so often it's absent. It's absent. We might not disagree with it, but I wonder how often in church life, in how the world views the church, and, and really getting down to the root of it, in my own heart and life, how much the fruit of the Spirit is just present in my life? Am I living in and experiencing the love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness of God in my life, His faithfulness? Is that, is that resonating in me, and is that being shared with others? I, I think the issue isn't whether or not we believe in it. I think the issue is, are we able to walk in it? Are we, are we resting and receiving the fruit of the Spirit, watching it be present in our hearts and lives? And does it flow naturally out of us? Do other people walk away going, man, I got to taste some really good fruit when I was hanging out with Tommy this week. Now, I hate to call Tommy out because I experienced the fruit of the Spirit in his life all the time. Grateful for you, buddy. But I, I wonder how often that's really said about us, that, that people are tasting the fruit of the Spirit. See, it starts personally and individually. It's easy to get cynical when we look at the culture of our day and age that we live in, just in our society. It can be discouraging to look at church culture and, and see things that just discourage us, tear us down. But the truth is God intended for people to experience his love through a relationship with him, and through us reflecting that out into the world. God intends this for us. So here's what we're going to do as we look at this over the next couple of weeks. Next Sunday, we're going to take our time and kind of unpack each of those, those words that we read. What do they look like? What do they mean? How do those show up in my life? But this morning, what we're going to do is we're going to look at the rest of Galatians chapter 5 and kind of the context that's around this fruit to maybe get some ideas on what rips us off from receiving it and also what can help us to live in and experience the fruit of God just showing up in our life. So here we go. We're going to look at three ways to live found in Galatians chapter 5. Let's start um, in verse 2. Galatians 5, 2. Look, I, Paul, say to you, that if you accept circumcision, I bet nobody thought that was coming after we are talking about fruit this morning, Christ will be of no advantage to you. I testify again to every man who accepts circumcision that he is obligated to keep the whole law. You are severed from Christ. You who would be justified by the law, that's the real part we need to pay attention to this morning. You who would be justified by the law, you have fallen away from grace. <clears throat> Excuse me. 
the first way that we can find ourselves living this morning is living with the mindset of trying to justify ourselves. Now, this may not, culturally, this might not be a big issue for us, this idea of, well, do I, have to, do I have to get circumcision to be a follower of Jesus? And it's kind of this weird thing. Like, this is tied directly into some very specific Old Testament scriptures and cultural law and tradition that the Jewish people walked out. But the point behind it was, if we start adding to the gospel of grace by doing things we're supposed to do in order to justify ourselves, we remove the power of grace altogether. In fact, Jesus or Paul writes and he says, you're actually in your, now picture this for a minute, in your um, physical activity of circumcision, of cutting something out in order to do the right thing and be justified and follow the rules, what you're actually cutting out of your life is the grace of God. It's the grace of God. Now, on the surface you know, in, in American Christian culture, we might think, what, this has nothing to do with me. But I've got to tell you, I've seen this present in my life a lot. I regularly can fall into the trap of Jesus plus these things that are required of me. Me needing to achieve these things or accomplish these things. Think about it specifically in the context we're talking about here today. Experiencing the fruit of the Spirit. I mean, one of the, the primary things I can do if I'm not careful when I think of the fruit of the Spirit is look at that as a list of things I've got to start doing. I've got to muster up peace. Why don't I have peace? I just need to be more at peace. I need to settle my heart. I'm so anxious. What's wrong with me? We laugh because we know it's true, right? We, we read the fruit of the Spirit like it's another list of laws we're supposed to follow. We just replace the Ten Commandments with the Ten Fruits. I got to do that stuff. No, it's a byproduct of something. It's a byproduct of the grace of God in our lives. Listen, he goes on to say this. Galatians 5, now verse 7, or chapter 5, verse 7. You were running well. I mean, this is just, he could be talking to me. You were running well. You were doing great. You were just resting in the grace of God. Who hindered you then from obeying the truth? This persuasion is not from him who calls you. A little leaven leavens the whole lump. There could actually be quotations around that. He is referencing something Jesus taught. Jesus, he taught a parable about this and he talked about the Pharisees. So in, in one of the parables, Jesus says the kingdom of heaven is like this. A woman takes a measure of meal and mixes in a little bit of leaven and it works its way through the whole batch. It works its way through the whole batch. Leaven, from a biblical standpoint, would have made a Jewish person go, oh, don't add leaven to that. Don't do that. It always represented something that was wrong, that didn't belong there. And the, in, in this context, Jesus is saying, be careful of leaven mixing in. What leaven? Well, what did he say to avoid? In Luke chapters 11 and 12, I'd encourage you to go look this up. For time's sake, I'm just referencing it in passing. But in Luke 11 and 12, 
Jesus starts to talk about the Pharisees and that they heap on these heavy burdens on people, rules, regulations, restrictions to follow. And then he says they don't even really follow them. It's not real. It's just outward. And he says, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees. And he's talking about their hypocrisy. They're working to accomplish this stuff, but it's not rooted in something real. Jesus is inviting us into something real, lasting, grace that is enough, grace that's enough. He says, I'm going skip, to skip the next verse just for time's sake here, buddy. Look at this. Back to where Paul started. I skipped verse one for a reason. Look at this. This is the whole thing Paul's trying to unpack in this chapter. Galatians 5 verse one. For freedom, Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. He says, listen, we have been brought into a life of grace, a life of freedom, We've been freed from sin. We've been set free from the law. We're we're meant to enjoy it. Jesus meant for us to live with the pressure off. With the pressure off. Resting in him. Look, he continues. Verse 5 now. For through the Spirit, by faith, we ourselves eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness. Does that sound like working really hard to stir up this fruit? We rest in the Spirit. By faith, we trust and believe God is going to produce this in us. And so we eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness. Verse 6, for in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything, but only faith working through love. God wants us to trust in the goodness of his love and grace and believe that it will produce something. Verse 18 now, skipping down quite a ways. If you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Many of us, myself included, maybe I'm the only one this morning, can fall into this trap of earning of justifying, of trying to create the outcome instead of trusting in the one who produces the fruit. The fruit is the fruit of the Spirit. It's not the fruit of Jake's really good work making God's Spirit happy. He'd write it that way. If it was the fruit of my hard work, then he would say the fruit of your labors in Christ are X, Y, and Z. It's the fruit of his spirit. We're being invited into a way of life where we trust the grace of God, his presence in our life, his love in our life, and we just wait and let it do its work. Um, I've got such a clear memory in my mind of something as a kid. When I was growing up, um, you know, we weren't completely without sugar in our house, but, it, but pretty close. Like, we were pretty close to not having a lot of sugar in the house. And so um, the way we got our sugar was through fruit. And so my mom would keep, like, lots of apples in the house, lots of bananas. I was never a huge fan of bananas. I could never find that right, perfect moment when it was, like, not too hard and not too gross and soft. So I was was an apple guy. 
Like I kind of like red apples, Granny Smith apples. I loved all of them. Well, our friends on our little cul-de-sac where we lived down at the end of the street, my friends AJ and Brian, they were brothers a couple years apart. We were all pretty close in age. Um, they had this fruit tree in their front yard. It was a pear tree. And, you know, I, I don't really eat a lot of pears anymore, but there was this pear tree, and it would grow these big, huge pears. And I remember very distinctly one time we were talking, and we really wanted a pear off the tree. And we were kind of talking, and we knew, like, one of them was saying, ah, Mom said they're not ready yet. We got to leave them on there. They're not ripe. And we were just stubborn, and so we picked the pears off the tree. And go to take a bite into this pear. is like, I could hardly break the skin of it. Now, if you've ever had a pear before, they are like the juiciest. Like when you bite into them, they almost kind of melt in your mouth, right? It's just like super watery and messy. I feel like when I eat a really good pear, like half of it's just kind of, you know, running down my face and gets on my hands. Like, man, that's just a good, ripe pear. This was the dead opposite of that. <laughs> Hard no flavor, no taste. I mean, it was one bite, spit it out, chucked it. That thing is no good. When they were good is when they would drop off the tree and we'd go grab them and then they were nice and soft and ripe. They were great. But memory has just stuck with me. I, I think sometimes what happens is we don't realize like God is working in us and when the fruit doesn't show up right away, we try to manufacture it. How do I make it happen? What do I do to, to produce it quickly? That would be just like going outside to one of your trees and taking a roll of duct tape and a bag of apples and just taping them to the tree. And then step it back and going, look at my beautiful apple tree. Look at all this wonderful fruit I've grown. Right? It's absurd. Like, if you saw your neighbor doing that, you would be seriously concerned about the mental well-being of your neighbor. We do that constantly in our spiritual lives. In fact, we even begin to expect it of each other in church circles. It's amazing to me. We know we're all here only by the grace of God. We know we're broken, messed up people who God loves and saves. And yes, he, he sanctifies us and grows us, absolutely. But that's a process. And then we get shocked somehow when we hurt or wound each other, when somebody lets us down, or we get appalled by our own behavior when we blow it. It's like, yeah, you're growing up in Christ. You're learning, you're growing, you're maturing. Hang in there, develop and cultivate that relationship, and just trust the process. Let him produce what he's gonna produce. Some of the people that I've experienced the, the most fruit from in their lives they don't, they're not even really that consciously aware of how fruitful they are. In fact, they might even be people who are still pretty aware of their own shortcomings and would be more likely to talk about those areas where God's still growing and shaping them. But I know as their friend and someone who's walked with them for a long time, man, the life of Jesus is pouring out of them all the time. It's almost like one of those things when we just stop worrying about it, it'll start taking care of itself. And so we rest in his grace we stay connected to the vine and we let him produce the fruit. Justifying ourselves is a trap. Paul thought so severely about this that when he was talking about the people who were spreading this mentality of working and earning and coming under the law, 
he was so against that that in the context of talking about circumcision, I'm going to try not to be too graphic, in the context of talking about circumcision, he says in Galatians 5.12, I wish those who unsettle you would emasculate themselves. That's some pretty severe language. I mean, I, I realize like this, this might feel awkward talking about this, but this is Bible this morning. I'm just reading the scripture here. Paul is saying it's such a serious issue to put these huge heavy burdens on people that like this has to be cut off at the root. It needs to stop. It needs to stop. When you stop pouring heavy burdens on people, putting heavy burdens on people, Jesus said, my yoke is easy, my burden is light because he's inviting us into a life of grace. All right, so there's number one, justifying ourselves. That is not gonna produce fruit and it's a trap. And if we try to do it on our own, we're in trouble. All right, secondly, moving on. Galatians 5, 13. For you were called to freedom, brothers, only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you are not consumed by one another. So now he's, now he's warning kind of on the other hand to be careful of just pursuing what the flesh wants looking for, for satisfaction, looking for joy in things that you can grab hold of yourself in the flesh, pursuing things that are never gonna satisfy. And in pursuing those things, what we end up doing is actively harming each other. I become so self-focused on what am I getting out of this relationship? What am I getting out of my life? How do I arrange for my own comfort, my own peace? Maybe I'm not trying to earn it by being a good follower of Jesus. Maybe I'm just trying to find it in things that this world offers that will not satisfy. And instead, we'll start to harm other people because living according to the flesh leads to a very self-focused life. And I harm people. This is, this is the opposite of eating fruit. This is becoming a cannibal. I'm harming other people. He says you bite and devour one another. Now, just in case you, you think you've never done that before, let me just ask you to consider something. Have you ever been accused of biting someone's head off? Right? We know that phrase, right? Just lashing out at somebody, saying some hurtful, harmful thing. Usually somebody we really love. I mean, I've, I myself have never bitten my wife's head off, but, all right, absolutely. Absolutely. And we do this, we harm one another, wrapped up in our own selves and our own desires. And it's not, it's not only damaging to people outside of us, it's harmful for us. If I could find satisfaction in what this world and this life has to offer, I would have never needed Jesus in the first place. He invited us into freedom, but it's a new kind of freedom. It sets us free, yes, from the slavery of trying to justify ourselves and follow a list of rules, follow the law. But equally, he sets me free from a futile life of trying to pursue and arrange for my own happiness. If it could be found in this life, on this planet, by pursuing my own desires, I would have it. Now, 
We can see this in small little ways like I was just joking about, but if we get real for a minute, we see this in massive ways. Like we, we live, there's an epidemic of people pursuing their desires to their own destruction and the destruction of others. I have struggled personally with things that's like, man, this thing is good and I want it. And the minute I have it, at best, I get a momentary satisfaction. And then I'm immediately longing for more. This is how addictions work. There's a wide range of addictions. Our, our culture is an addicted culture. We're addicted to trying to satisfy ourselves with pleasure. Some of them are obvious. It could be a drug addiction. It could be a pornography addiction, alcohol addiction. But listen, we're just addicted to things like entertainment. But I don't get any actual rest from entertaining myself. I don't get any actual refreshment from that. There's all these things we pursue. I'm addicted to arranging for a good life by just chasing and pursuing wealth and thinking I'll ever have enough to satisfy me. We chase and pursue all these things and it, it leaves us dry. It leaves us thirsty for more and it harms people in the process. I mean, good night. Just look at the opioid epidemic. The destruction, the havoc that it's wreaking for the addict. But man, look at what's happened to our kids. Our kids. This is our community. This is our town. This is the country that we live in. It's being ravaged by addiction. And church, it starts with us believing this stuff. Believing that Jesus is enough. That his grace is enough. That I can, I can trust that, that giving my life to him, pursuing him, that's what's going to satisfy. See, the freedom that God offers is not independence from him. It's dependence upon him. I'm free from having to arrange for things myself. I don't have to justify myself and I don't have to fight and scrap and claw to get whatever satisfaction I can muster from this world. Instead, I'm free to learn that he is my provider. He's my healer. He's my creator and I can rest in him and he's enough and that he will satisfy. That there is a love that comes from God that, can't, that cannot be touched by anything this world has to offer. That there is a level of peace and satisfaction and joy that comes from the presence of God. Following our flesh is a trap. I'm not gonna take time to read through the list, but, but he goes on to tell us really clearly that the desires of the flesh war against the desires of the spirit. And then he lists them. He just says, I'm warning you, this stuff destroys. And, and I think that there is a place, personally, yourself, to sit and look at that list and go, God, are there any of these that have kind of captured my heart and attention that I'm finding myself pursuing? With just some honesty and going, God, I... Man, no wonder I'm so dissatisfied. 
God, I've given myself over to pursuing some of these things. They, they hold my mind, my attention. It's what I think about. I'd encourage you to read through them, verses 19 through 21. And just let God's spirit show up and maybe highlight something that's ripping you off that God wants to set you free from. In the same way that he invites us into freedom from the law and that yoke of slavery, he also wants to set us free from the desires of the flesh. Galatians 5, 16. And then I'm gonna skip down and read 24 and 25 also. I want you to see this because there's three specific things in here, tangible things. Verse 16, but I say walk by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. Verse 24, and those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Verse 25, if we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. So first and foremost, it's a decision, right? I am dying to the flesh. I'm dying to it. it may, it's not gonna mean necessarily the desire goes away. It's saying I am no longer living in that direction. I'm not pursuing that. I know that leads to death, so I'm just deciding I'm done with it. I think many of us, if not most of us, have done that part. And then we still can find ourselves stuck. Like, why am I struggling and battling with these desires, these addictions, these things that just draw me in so easily? But there's more to the story. I die to the flesh. I'm alive in Christ. I, I'm waking up to a whole new life. I have never met anyone that just by focusing on what they didn't want to do was able to stop doing it for any consistent period of time. Because what happens? Your mind is still set on it. I'm thinking about the thing I shouldn't be doing. I'm trying really hard not to do it. And it still, it has my focus. It has my attention. My mind drifts to it. But when I die to something and I become alive to something else, that thing holds my gaze. If what draws me, if what appeals to me is life in the spirit and I think that direction, I look that direction, what will begin to happen is the stuff the flesh craves, it just begins to slowly fall off. When I'm here, I'm not here. It changes my perspective. And so I'm alive to the spirit. And then I love this, Paul gets really practical he says, if we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. It's not just a one-time decision to say I'm done with that and I'm on to this. It's a daily walking with God. That's what abiding is all about. Every day, God, I'm with you today. I'm looking forward to living life with you. Holy Spirit, I'm looking forward to the life you want to give me. Listen, just as simply as I can say it, as simply as I can say it this morning, I believe as followers of Jesus, we long for the fruit of the Spirit. I believe that with all my heart. Man, we long for peace in our lives. We long for joy that abides and sticks around. We want it. But we've lost sight of the fact that that comes by living in the spirit and presence of God. 
it's like my focus is on what I would like to have instead of what produces that result. I, I can see every possible commercial for every workout bike, every gym I can join. I can see people on the screen in their swimsuits looking great in the summertime, and I can desire that all I want. Me hoping to experience that one day ain't going to get me there. Right? Living a healthy lifestyle, taking care of my body, watching what I'm eating, the byproduct will be a healthier body. Right? It's going to come as a byproduct. I wonder how many of us as believers, our life would change if I woke up every day and thought, the Spirit of God is with me right here, right now. God is present He loves me. He's with me. His spirit is in my life and I can live today connected with him. And if I woke up thinking about what it would look like to walk with him today, cultivating that relationship, aware of his presence, how much we might be surprised that we're not striving trying to justify ourselves. We're not working ourselves to the bone trying to arrange for our own comfort and well-being. And slowly but surely, very naturally, or really supernaturally, the fruit of the Spirit begins to show up and be more present in my life. I begin more and more to taste and see that the Lord is good. He's good, and he produces good fruit. All right, in closing, I'm gonna take five minutes. I wanna give you three things, three things to help us experience a fruitful life. This is how we can experience life in the Spirit, all right? Number one, focus. What holds your gaze? What holds your attention? Romans chapter eight, verses five and six. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. For to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the spirit is life and peace. There it is right there. Focus, what has my attention? Let me get my eyes on life in the spirit. Where's my pursuit? Number two, we move from focus, all right, setting my mind on the spirit to habit, renewing my mind in the spirit. I actually wanna go Old Testament on this one. Psalm chapter one, very first Psalm. I don't know how often you cycle through reading all the Psalms, but it's always so like just a good reminder and refresher when I start over at Psalm one again. And I'm reminded of this. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. See, that's the easy thing to do. That's what everybody else is doing. It's really easy to live there. I mean, that's what he's describing Sitting, walking, standing. He's talking about where do you live your life? In the counsel of the wicked, in the way of sinners, in the seat of scoffers? No. Verse two. But his delight is in the law of the Lord and on his law he meditates day and night. It's a habitual thing to say, I'm gonna draw on the word of God. What does that produce? What we're talking about. Verse three. He's like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither. In all that he does, he prospers. You know, this is like the opposite of leaven working its way in. 
The scripture is called the daily bread. I don't know about you, I eat every day. I mean, okay, occasionally as a believer, there are times of fasting, but I eat every day. I eat multiple times a day. I can't wait to eat here just a little bit. I love Sunday afternoon lunch. It's great. I, 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 I would never just accidentally go a whole day without eating. If I go a whole day without eating, there's some purposeful reason why. There's a decision that's been made. Nobody has to remind me. Yet as believers, how often do we go without just feasting on the word of God? I'm not, again, this isn't about justifying yourself. It's not about God being unhappy with you if you're not reading your Bible. I'm talking about life, drawing on his word, meditating on it. This might not be reading eight chapters a day. Maybe I've grabbed one verse. I'm dwelling on that verse today. I'm letting it sink in. I'm carrying it with me as I go about my day. But I'm developing the habit of feasting on what God has to offer. My focus is on life in the Spirit, and I've developed the habit of hearing from God, of chewing on His Word, of letting it get down inside of me. And then number three, I've, I've alluded to this part throughout the service, but I just want to say it clearly. Number three, I rest. I rest. One of the hardest things to do as a person is to rest. We're terrible at it. We're bad at it in our society. Forget our spiritual lives for a minute. We're just bad at this in general. And even when we rest, we're not really resting. Anybody ever take a day off and just spend most of the day feeling really guilty about all the things you're not getting to? Like, I almost never give myself permission just to chill out. When I finally do, I'm like, oh, well, there's that thing around the house I should be doing and that thing that's broken. And we don't know how to rest. Rest directly contradicts justifying ourselves by the law and pursuing our fleshly desires. It is in direct contrast to that. Rest is an act of surrender. It lets someone else take care of stuff. You know who doesn't have trouble resting? My kids. They don't wake up on a Saturday and just go, man, I just feel really guilty. I have not gotten to the laundry. My room is a mess. My toys are everywhere. I wonder who's gonna go shopping and put food on the table later. They know how to rest great. <laughs> they got it down. Well, if I remember right, there was this person named Jesus who said, unless we become like little children, we can't enter the kingdom of God. If we could learn how to rest in his grace, rest in his presence, enjoy his presence by feasting on his word. Not because I have to, because I get to. It's because it's good for me. And so I just sit and rest and know he's doing stuff that I can't even see. That's what Jeremiah is talking about in Jeremiah 17, verses 5 through 10. Verse 5, thus says the Lord, cursed is the man who trusts in man and makes flesh his strength, whose heart turns away from the Lord. He's like a shrub in the desert and shall not see any good come. He shall dwell in the parched places of the wilderness in an uninhabited salt land. If I decide I'm just going to trust in my own strength to make it happen, I may as well just accept a desert kind of life. I'm gonna be dry and weary and worn out. I'm gonna be parched and famished and unsatisfied. 
So that's one option. Or verse seven, blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord, whose trust is the Lord. I thought that was really weird when I read that. Why does he say trust twice? And then I started really looking at him like, wait a minute. Blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord, whose trust is the Lord. There's a verb and a noun there. I trust in the Lord. It's an activity. I'm placing my trust in him. It's a way I live. I choose to rest in him, right? That's what's happening with trust. I'm just letting him take care of it. But also, whose trust is the Lord. He is trustworthy. The imagery there of that word of him being trust, it's like a refuge or a tower. He is a place of refuge. In and of himself, I can trust him. He is faithful. See, if I actually read through the fruit of the Spirit, it's a description of the character and nature of God. He is love. He is joy. He delights in us. He's the prince of peace. We could go on and on through the list. He's faithful. I'm, I'm faithless. I struggle. He's faithful. So I take refuge in him. And then again, we see the description, similar to what we just read in the Psalms. Verse 8, the person who's able to do that, who trusts in the Lord, he's like a tree planted by water that sends out its roots by the stream and does not fear when heat comes, for its leaves remain green and is not anxious in the year of the drought, for it does not cease to bear fruit. And then check this out. This is why we just trust in him. Because the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick, and who can understand it? I, the Lord, search the heart and test the mind to give every man according to his ways, according to the fruits of his deeds. Let me learn to plant myself in him, rest in him, and trust that he's got it figured out. He'll produce the fruit. Let's choose life in the spirit. Let's walk out and then trust in the process and watch as his fruit grows in our life. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you that you are a good God who gives good gifts to his children. Thank you that you give us the gift of your spirit, your presence. Lord, I just, I acknowledge personally um, that I fall into the trap of trying to justify myself and earn things. God, I, I fall into the, stra- the trap of being distracted by my flesh and its cravings and desires and pursuing after those things and trying to find rest in them, comfort in them, satisfaction in them. And God, I just, I agree with what your word says. Lord, that stuff does not satisfy. It's a death. It's a heavy burden. God, I long to experience the life you offer. God, I long to experience the fruit that you offer, that you produce. God, would you help all of us to have our focus upon you? God, for it to be our habit to live with you and dwell upon your word, feasting on it. And God, ultimately, would you teach us what it means to rest in your grace and love and trust you with the outcomes, believing that you'll produce good things. We love you, we need you, and God, we choose to trust in you. In Jesus' name we pray. By the power of the spirit of the living God in our lives, we pray, amen.